I would like more. Like I like how I like how Europe does it, where you know they have like the 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 championship finals, but then they also have a bunch of like GP level events leading up to it. I think I think that's how they do it. But yeah, I th- well, I know Legacy has an independent tournament circuit that they run. I don't know if that's connected to the RCs or if they're able to like, mm. get slots into it. I think they yeah. may have able to. The same way that like Star City has RZQ slots. Yeah, that's what I thought, but I'm not. I'm not sure. But yeah, I mean, I wish there would be like maybe one or two more of those every cycle. Yeah, and the the names of those tournaments always like really confuse me because it's like Legacy Open, Modern, and then my brain doesn't really process that correctly. I mean, they all have different names too, right? It, it, in in Australia, New Zealand, it's called the Super Series or something, and then ours is like the the MTGC Championships, like. It's, yeah, it's actually really confusing when I'm trying to find the regionals results on Goldfish because everything is called something different. And mm-hmm. I really wish that it was like clearly labeled. You're not going to get clearly labeled tournaments. What, what is this? Like people can't even like label deck lists properly. I, I made the only reason I knew that this one was the one I wanted is because you were in the top eight. So mm. the NTGC championship final cycle two. Okay, mm-hmm. that's the one we wanted. Hey everyone, welcome to episode 283 of the MTG Grindcast, the spikiest podcast in all of Central North Carolina, and also this week, the Philippines. Uh, we are your hosts. I'm Chris Castor-Apple. With me is Lee McLeod. Hey, Lee. Hi, Chris. And our special guest this week, uh, I think this is only the second time you've been on the cast, mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. Uh, Nick Price is joining us fresh off of a top eight berth in the Southeast Asia Regional Championships. Hey. Nick, congratulations and welcome. Thank you. I mean, where, where does like my second appearance put me in like the, the ranking of like most most uh, tenured grand cast guests? Honestly, pretty high. There's like a number of guests that have only stop by one time so i I don't have a spreadsheet or anything (laughs) but i think sixth or seventh nice Uh, okay but it's like a big tie for two appearances yeah yeah Uh, okay that that i'll I'll take it that's awesome i mean for a while lee was like the most recurring guest and then you know he got promoted to host when collins retired so you know stick with it and who knows what could happen for you i guess <laughs> that's easy was trying to replace me already <laughs> i mean that, that, that's not that's not why i asked like that, that no. I, I know I'm, I'm completely kidding <laughs> i know that you're recording this at 8 a.m your time which is not the most exciting uh time in the world to be on a magic the gathering podcast so thank you for making the time for us oh it is it is for me i mean okay yeah all good all times are good times to be on a magic podcast no that 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 is that is true i would be unhappy but uh i'm glad that that's not how you feel no i mean like since the last time i've been on and even before that i I was like basically following like a u.s eastern schedule but you know because of work and magic and stuff so like i did sleep last night so like i i have just woken up but like this would usually be kind of the like the, the later middle part of my day so I, either way I'm, gotcha. just, I'm i'm excited to talk about some some magic yeah definitely i did not get a chance to like watch coverage of the st- the regional tournaments this past weekend southeast asia and australia new zealand happened uh so we're gonna talk about those results a little bit uh, i was at scg charlotte playing some modern 
struggling to finish my rounds on time because I was playing an Omnath deck and I kept getting paired against Blue White Control, but it was still a good weekend, still a fun weekend that I enjoyed. But Nick, you did have a much more successful weekend than I did. Yeah, I made I made top eight, so um, that was I, pretty good. I qualified for the for the pro tour. I'm glad that I can call it that now without like yeah, like the asterisk. That actually, it's actually it's a set championship this time. No, I got qualified for the actual pro tour, and this is the first like pro tour quote unquote that I've qualified for. Given that the first one I I, I got into was like a mythic championship, and then from there it was like the the players tour like Asia Pacific and then it was the the, the players tour online three and then it was a set championship and now it's like we're back to the pro tour and I'm in let's go yeah I guess uh not all of our listeners I, I mean I'm sure we've picked up some since the last time you were on not all of our listeners are totally familiar with your magic history we met when you were playing in the lotus box series and qualified for that invitational I know that you got really into things when you know COVID hit and some Magic tournaments got more accessible to people not in the primary magic locations, but you've been grinding for a long time and mm-hmm. have had a fair bit of success even before that sort of like digital revolution came to competitive magic. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I've been playing paper, yeah, I've been playing magic since about, since about 2010 locally, you know, in, in, in the Philippines and started playing magic online in about 2017, which is about around the time that I decided to be like, I I wanted, I want to start qualifying for, for international events and stuff like going to, going to GPs. And, and I mean, you know, it's being from the Philippines, it's, it's not the easiest to to qualify for the PT. I, I did mention this before, but I think that maybe one or two people from the Philippines would qualify for each like old school PT. So that's like maybe, you know, four to five Filipinos a year able to go to like these, these international magic events. Um, you know, we, we've actually done like pretty decently in, in the world magic cups and stuff. So for me, it's always been about, um, how, how do we get more opportunities to, to play with the best players? Because like, that's what, you know, that, that's what, that's what people say, right? Like, like they want to, to play PT so that they can play against the best players in magic. And for me, it's always been about giving everyone the same chance to do that and that's what we talked about last time where online magic you know discord like magic on discord or arena ma- like arena tournaments and stuff that like really kind of leveled the playing field and made it so that i could i could compete uh more often and and you know for for bigger prizes and, and with more like with better players and it was great i mean i i'm mm-hmm. i'm so glad that like that happened i'm i am glad that we're we're back to paper magic not as glad as other people because i I prefer online magic by a lot, but, <laughs> but I mean, you know, as long as we have systems like, like the RCs where we can go, go abroad to a big tournament, play for stakes, like it's going to be pretty good, I think. Yeah. And I mean, one of the reasons we wanted to have you on is to provide a little bit, we all operate in our own little bubbles and mm-hmm. most of our listeners are US and Europe. And so they know how those regional systems are working. And I definitely wanted to hear an outside perspective, you're going to have a slightly different RCQ system, just having a different tournament organizer. But yep. uh, I'd love to hear about how y'all system works and if it's working for you and what, you know, changes you'd like to see in the future and, and what this new system has been like for people in Southeast Asia uh, and the Philippines specifically. Yeah. So, I mean, so I, I'm from the Philippines and the Philippines is part of like a 
geopolitical region called Southeast Asia, and that that consists of of the Philippines, Malaysia, Indonesia, Singapore, and then there's like you know Vietnam, Myanmar, Laos, Cambodia, uh, etc. Uh, but like the, the the latter countries that I mentioned, like aren't don't really don't really have have RCQs or or, or like an, an OP system that, that I know of. So that we're mainly focusing on you know the Philippines, Thailand, Singapore, Malaysia, Indonesia. The, you know these countries are are grouped together in a in an regional championship uh, region. And what happens is stores in in each country have RCQs. So that that's pretty much like any other region. Um, we ha- we have about I want to say like. We've had twelve to twenty each cycle, um, and those are all two slaughters. So we basically have forty, you know, forty to fifty Filipinos or forty to fifty people of each country qualified for the event. So you'd expect our regional championships to have about like one hundred to two hundred people, roughly. And and every cycle, how it's been so far is that there's been one regional championship in a in a different country. Like last time it was Singapore, this time it was the Philippines. Where you know you just fly in and you you play for you play for uh, eight eight pro tour slots and one world slot. And did the numbers bear out? Like in the in this past weekend, was there about like hundred to two hundred people? Yeah. So the the first one in Singapore, um, there there were one hundred fifty people, and and this time we were expecting to, to, there to be like the same to maybe up to about two hundred because that's how many like qualified players that were listed on the the organizers website but we ended up there ended up being 84 players so this time it was a bit it was a bit like it was not as well attended as we expected but like that that, that might have been due to do uh, you know to factors like the philippines kind of being far away from the rest of southeast asia and and maybe some factors to do with uh say suboptimal tournament organization how i mean how easy is it for you to travel around did you go to the the rc in singapore how you know is that difficult for you to get to or how is the fact that you know this region is southeast asia which is several countries not all of which are the easiest to access from other ones how has that affected you um i think overall it's been it's been like a positive change compared to compared to before um it's pretty much the same system as when we had pptqs and rptqs i'm pretty like i'm pretty sure that's how it was like that mm-hmm. was also the system around the world right where you know you pptq yes. in, in, in your local store and then you go to the to the regional tournament so it's pretty much that so but like a little bit bigger the the, the important thing is that is that a lot of filipinos were able to make it to, to both to both rcs um and and you know that that that's really that's really all i want for just like more people from each country to be able to go to the to the highest level event that they're able to and you know singapore is extremely it's very central to southeast asia so it, it's a very it's much more easily accessible to everyone you know around because if, if you look at the map it's like singapore is like kind of in the middle of like a of like a like a semicircle of all the other countries where you know so it's it's easy for us to get to it's easy for for, for thai people to get to but the you know the philippines I'm glad that it was the RC was held in the Philippines, but it's really not the most convenient location for people from the kind of the, the mainland portion of 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 Asia. Mm-hmm. Um, only three Thai players made it to the event, um, and that's like like that's kind of insane given that there should be about 40, 30 to forty qualified. Only three people from Indonesia made it. Um, then there should be way more than that qualified. So um, I oh, think that is yeah. kind of a bummer. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think that 
if you're if you're talking about like the USRC, you're not really thinking about oh, you know, like we need to have twenty players from Nebraska or whatever, right? Like it it doesn't work. But but for me, like I'm looking at it in terms of like what what is what is like what representation are you expecting from each country and what actually like how does it actually like bear out? Yeah, I mean, the U.S. has a little bit of that problem in that like the United States is pretty large and mm-hmm. it is all in one country, but yeah. we do only have the one regionals. And so our next regionals is in San Diego. And that's literally like 3000 miles away from us. <laughs> yeah. That's so far away. Like from, <laughs> from some places, but you know, we can fly there. Don't need a passport. Don't need anything special to get there. So, so there is that level of convenience and you know, if you want it, you'll get there, but you know, it can be a pretty pricey flight ticket depending on where you're coming from. Yeah, I com- completely understand. It's it's a common problem, right? Where even if player is good enough, they don't want to travel that far or pay the expenses to get there. They just won't try to win <laughs> or will get to a position to be winning and then just scoop. Yeah, that that is that is a pretty common that, that that's a pretty common practice here. I mean, mo- like more people than before like are able to attend th- these big events, but there's still, you know, there's still some people who are like, you know, I'd rather have prizes than than an invite to yeah. the tournament that i won't go to sure i mean and you know we also are in a, a slightly odd spot in that the format of this tournament was standard mm-hmm. and i wonder if anybody skipped it because they were just like i don't really want to prepare for standard i re- don't really want to buy several hundred dollars worth of standard cards in order to play in this one tournament uh you know there might have been some level of that too I, I think that was definitely a factor for us. Um, it locally, no one, no one fires standard events. Like, I think that the only reason we had a bunch of standard RCQs was because uh, I think I think our local distributor was pushing that as a as the format. So as much as possible, RCQs, you know, in season two should should be standard. But but if standard has been just like a dead format since you know since energy since mono white aggro like <laughs> before the pandemic yeah i think the the pandemic pretty much killed it here too there's standard is not a a played format in paper it was it was not doing so hot before no the pandemic. but it's certainly the the pandemic didn't stem the bleeding in any way no yeah that's unfortunate because standard is is really fun right now it is fun right now. I mean, you know, I don't want to jump into the format itself or the results from this weekend until, you know, you've you said your piece about or, or, or we fully discussed the RC structure. But I definitely am excited to talk about standard. Yeah, I mean, uh, I'd be happy to talk about that. I, I did. I did. Not, I did like forget to mention earlier that one of the, the cool things about our system is that you can play as many you can play as many RCQs as, as you want. So there's none of that feel bad where you qualify and then. You just can't play magic anymore. I mean, we have a friend who conceded in the finals simply because he wanted to keep playing local tournaments. And these are like the main local tournaments. Like, it's not that he didn't care at all about. Yeah, the it's just he cared more about playing in local tournaments. Yeah, you don't want to. Yeah, you don't want to have to do that. You definitely do not want a system that promotes that kind of uh, <laughs> happening going on. I mean, like, yeah. what, like, do you know why? Why? Why is it like that? Like, it. I think it's legacy rules because that's how it, where it was a long time ago with uh, PTQs and such mm-hmm. and and PBTQs and I think they just like kind of just put it in there thinking it was the same. That's that's my belief. I don't have any evidence. Yeah, that, that makes sense. I don't think DreamHack really knows. 
I don't think there's a, a an actual like parsable reason for doing it this way. I think it just is. So you mentioned to me before that the RC did not go as smoothly as you would hope for a Filipino RC to go. Can you just kind of talk about the tournament itself and the the management of it? Yeah. So just want to be clear that that the, the Southeast Asian like local partner of, of Wizards of the Coast for like for the RC organization is called is Oracle Events, and they also partnered with with the, the official Philippine distributor for for Magic the Gathering. I think that they you know they they worked together to set this event up, and Filipinos were were really looking forward to it because it, it's you know it's the first international event in the Philippines since like I want to say like GP Manila 2017 or something so you know like we, we were really yeah. looking forward to it I mean we, we we love to travel so like if, if it had been in, in KL or, or Singapore again like I would have been like super happy to go but you know it being in the Philippines like that that's something that's something special for us so my tournaments are usually held in in the capital you know, like right in the city center, and and that, that that presents its own problems because like we're notorious for for terrible traffic jams and poor transportation <laughs> infrastructure. So so their solution was to hold it about two or three hours away from from the capital in a in kind of like a like a provincial vacation town where they have where they have this convention center, and you know that's convenient for for locals. Because we know how to get there, but there's an international airport, you know, by the convention center, and there are only four countries that fly there, and the only country that flies there that that has like players who could attend the event is Singapore. So what qualified players had to do was that they had to fly into our international airport in the capital and take a two or three hour bus. Oh wow! To the you know to the to the convention center. Okay, so that that may be the reason why there were so few players from a couple of the countries. Yeah, I mean it's it's not just that like we're 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 far we're further away, but it it also like was kind of daunting the prospect. I mean, you know, I'm sure some people are listening to this and they're thinking like take a bus like like we all like everyone does that like from from the airport. That's just something you do, but 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 not, it's take it's, a bus in somebody else's country. Yes. You know, you've probably never been here before, or you've, you've yeah, yeah. So I had to, you know, like I like, really want. I wa- I walked my my Thai friends. Like I, the, there was uh, there was an American uh, player that lived, you know, living in Thailand that I also like kind of explained like how how to get here. Like it was kind of it was kind of daunting, and and I mean I, I don't wish that that trip on on my enemies really. I mean, like, <laughs> like like whatever you've heard about. Southeast Asian or Philippine transport, like it's true, it's awful. So, I mean, just just that that was already like mm, that that was not promising. And you know, even at the venue, th- there are basic amenities that you'd expect at Magic tournaments. The chief of which would be would be water dispensers at the venue, just like places where you could like refill your water bottle. Like that that that's normal, right? Like that's yeah, like, yeah. Like we didn't have that. We had that in Singapore, but we didn't have that here. And we weren't even allowed to bring food and drink into the venue, which which is a kind of normal for for convention centers here, at least. It's a normal thing here, but I will complain about it every single time because I I hate that rule so much. Yeah, that that, that at least is kind kind of mitigated by the by there being like vendors at the at the, the convention center. But we didn't have any. We didn't have any vendors. We didn't have any water. You weren't allowed the rule. Wait, you, then how can they have a no food or drink rule? I I don't know. Um, they just want you to starve. While you're in the convention center, Dude, yeah, the magic tournament takes like ten hours a day. <laughs> like what? I know. I mean, like I, 
I think I think that there's you know there's room for a for a tournament for an event to like be like not the best but still kind of meet the basic needs of of players but but Human like not needs. having not having water is just is just incredibly like insane. That's egregious. Yeah. Imagine getting off like a two hour bus ride after being on a plane for several hours. Yeah. And just- learning the convention center will not have any water for the entire day (laughs) imagine just like getting off like two hours of mono white mirrors like they went to time and you can't you can't have any food in the convention center (laughs) yeah so like you know i heard my i heard stories of my of my my countrymen like sneaking into a bathroom stall to eat a subway you know it it, it's sad stuff like that um I mean, th- th- these are issues that that, you know, that we raised to the management, and one of my friends really raised us think about it. And we did get we did get a vendor, like to the to the convention center, like halfway through day one. So, so you know, they did start selling some food and drinks, which is something. But like, we we shouldn't have to like the players shouldn't have to to bring that issue up. That's very frustrating, and I'm sorry that you had to deal with that. Yeah, thank you. I mean, I think that you know all like every every regional organizer has like weird has weird quirks and you know that that stuff that we have that yeah we have to deal with we have to deal with as players and i definitely sympathize with 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 the other regions having to deal with their own thing but like you know i'm I'm kind of bringing this up in the hope that your, your listeners realize that like there's something maybe not optimal about about the ter- tournament organizers that Wizards is partnering with in general, or maybe, you know, there just needs to be just a little more oversight, you know, because yeah. that definitely in terms of like liability and whatever, it's like, it, it makes sense for Wizards to just be like, okay, we've signed you as our partner, just you do that, we're going to send you the the prizes and, and, and you know, the, the you handle that. But like when, yeah. I mean, I, yeah. I've talked we, about this multiple times on the podcast, yeah. but I hate this third party system where it was just like, all right, there you go, just do whatever, we don't care anymore. It's it's the worst. Our problems, I think, are less severe because they don't really impact like player health and safety in the way that like no water in the venue does. But you know, we we have seen it too. Like DreamHack just announced like a ten round day one for the San Diego. <laughs> I, I I heard that, and then that was that was incredible. Like, um, why God, so many jokes that <laughs> and that's after like, that that's that's thanks to player feedback right you know they like they, they, yeah. they thanks player thanks players yeah, I, I finished i finished my last match day one of our last regionals at 10 30 like hopefully this next one is run a little more smoothly and we won't have a one hour player meeting at the beginning of the tournament but uh, nobody was asking for an extra round day one an hour player meeting it was confusing. Everyone was just tweeting through it. It mm-hmm. was uh, it was a day. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like we we don't even know where, where the next RC will be, but like instead of hoping that it's going to be somewhere near, we're back to hoping that hey, maybe if it's in Singapore, we'll get water again. So <laughs> <laughs> what a luxury. Yeah. Well, that's really obnoxious. Other than that, though, I mean, do you have any any thoughts about the RC or the RCQ system or, you know, your it sounds like the the organizers, your regional organizer is not quite on top of things. Yeah, I, I mean, even before this current system, Magic Fest, Grand Prix, whatever in our region, like 
they would they'd, they'd always have like a like an events partner in the region because I think that it's just not feasible for Wizards of the Coast to handle event mm-hmm. management like so far away from you know from where they're based. So like I understand that you know you'd ha- you'd, you'd really have to go with a partner, and we've always had like we've we've always had issues with a with whatever events company that that Wizards has partnered with in Southeast Asia, but. But it, it's it just sucks because I think that this system actually like really works for our region. I think that the advantage of of the you know having to of the like delegating the organization to to different event companies regionally is that you get to kind of find the system that that works for that you know for this particular grouping of countries or whatever. And I think other other countries definitely do have issues with how with how their RCs are structured. But but to me. You know, just without talking about execution, the 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 Southeast Asia Championships are just like it's a good event series. Like I would like maybe one or two more kind of like big in between events, like a kind of like a GP size event. You know, they even used to do that. They had like they had country opens where uh, it's in cycle one. They had country opens where like halfway through the season you could go to Malaysia and play like a large uh standard tournament and you could go to the you know you could go to the Philippines and play like a big modern tournament and those also had slots and like better prize money and stuff but they mm. discontinued they discontinued that i guess maybe because of attendance i'm not 100% sure so like the system yeah. i think like would work for us because it allows uh like the best players from each country in the region to like fly somewhere that's not too expensive not too far away that you know somewhere where they don't have to get a visa which is another huge issue especially for filipinos um Mm -hmm. and just play against the best players in that region which is really i think like mostly what you know like that that, that's great for us hopefully maybe just smooth out some quirks and it'll continue being a good system for you a bummer that those uh country wide opens weren't weren't able to be maintained those that does sound really cool yeah and i guess the last thing i'll say about that is just like act, like actionable points like if you're not satisfied with how your how your rc is being run or whatever like just email email wizards email your local organizers you know tweet through it like everything every like <laughs> every form of 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 feedback you know it sh- it probably won't help individually but it should add up so we we definitely have m- had changes made by everybody tweeting about how mad they were about something so yeah. you know well unless you have anything more to talk about you know that kind of meta conversation then if you want to talk about your prep for the events the grixis list you ended up on the tournament itself in the standard format like the anything magic of it all mm-hmm. the magic of it all uh, I, I think we're probably ready to talk about that yeah awesome what do you what do you want to start with just like my my prep yeah why don't why don't you like take us through like what were you kind of expecting the format to be like who did you work with how how did your learning about the event progress or learning about the format progress mm-hmm. cool yeah so i mean we, we we were talking about how not very many people play uh, play standard it's, it's kind of a dead format on paper but but i've i've been playing standard uh the past few months the past few sets even because of the, the the weekend challenges on magic online so you know i actually enjoy sitting down for a for an online challenge that and playing some some grixis and grixis has been the, the only deck pretty much I, I played some esper but grixis has pretty much been the only deck that i've played in challenges over the past few months so in terms of like you know meta game you know my, my, my meta game read i was pretty sure that grixis was going to be like the the biggest you know the biggest deck in, in the format like the most represented deck there were a bunch of kind of new decks that popped up 
from the last couple of sets that I hadn't had much experience playing because like the last time the last couple of challenges I played had basically been all Grixis mirrors. So I think it, the format was in an interesting place where there was clearly a best deck, like a consensus best deck, and then you had the deck that beat the best deck, which was mono white, and then you had a bunch of decks that were looking to beat both decks, but like maybe not that great at, at you know at, at like that the, the metagame spread deck like, in like mono red soldiers and stuff. So. So I was, you know, I, I had already kind of some experience with the format before I started prepping, but I was looking for, you know, people to prep with. I, I was planning to kind of just uh, discuss the format and maybe play lo locally with with my with my local team. Uh, and then I saw um, a tweet from from Zen Takahashi. Uh, he had tweeted out that he had set up a, a Discord server and you know for for prep for their Australia New Zealand RC. And that basically anyone was invited to to DM them to DM Zen, and and get an invite to the Discord to work together. And I think that like, that's another like really awesome uh, kind of like, side effect to there being like different regions, right? Where where you can test with a with a big group of people, but you're not all playing in the same tournament, so it doesn't feel like you know you're saturating the the tournament with with your testing team, and you'd have to like play each other a lot. So. You know, you can work with people from other regions, and I know that other other discords have done that in the past. Like I think Mangu, ha you know, Mangu made like a discord that you could just join and pre prep for the RC with, mm -hmm. like, yeah, in the in, in cycle one. So yeah, I mean, immediately I was like, hey, hey Zen, like this is Nick from the Philippines. Like I have a, a dedicated core of like Filipino players, and we'd like to work together for the for the RC. So yeah, that was that was like maybe two weeks or so before the event. So yeah, I worked with them. It was a, several players from Australia, New Zealand, and um, I think there are a few players from Europe and a couple of players from, from the Canada RC. Like I'm not sure if there are any US players, but but yeah, it was it was awesome. Like the, the, the vibe was great. It was just people from different countries working together on on mainly Grixis. Like um, I identified <laughs> like that I would just, like wouldn't bother with playing the other decks. Like I was just going to, to try to find the best version of Grixis, and you know that that's also something that Zen and some of the other some of the other people in that server ha had kind of read that they would just they would, they would just be playing Grixis because it would be the, it would be the best deck, and so you know I, I spent the the couple of weeks before the event just like playing Grixis in leagues, playing one on one matches of the especially the mirror match with with my with my testing partners and. And yeah, I, it was basically the most prep that I had put in for for any tournament that wasn't like a like a set championship, or a, you know, or the first the PT that I qualified for. And I think that this format, especially, like really rewards the repetition of just playing a bunch of mirror matches because you're gonna play a bunch of mirror matches, and you need to kind of you need to kind of figure out like what the play and the counterplay is. So if like you know, you play a harvester on turn two what's the best counter from from the you know the grixis player on the draw and stuff like that so i really like zeroed in on on getting that like the sequencing perfect yeah there's especially the fable versus fable sequencing like if if you're on the draw like they play a blood tithe harvester like you should not play your own blood tithe harvester yep. if you could just leave up a braid yeah exactly and then you know the, the, the whole the whole game plan on the draw is like is to like let them hit you with a harvester or, or draw a card with a bank buster and then you're the first person to play the fable and then like how should then the player on the play you know try to, to counter that like how so it, it, like the mirror that does get very interesting like that that is like 100 the type of magic that i like to play i am just very much a, a mid-range a mid-range grinder and i love mid-range mirrors 
Got to find all the little spots to get it up with your little advantage and just combine them into a big tower of advantage. Yes, that yeah, exactly. I think that that you know the preparation really paid off because we we found a list that was good against the field and we 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 put together a sideboard plan that was very well tuned uh for the mirror and maybe less well tuned for some other matchups and yeah i mean we, we can like jump into the the actual event if you want but i ended up going uh three one against the mirror and i, I only lost to kelvin Chu, who's just like the best player from our region so i don't i don't feel bad about that kelvin is incredibly good mm-hmm. yeah yeah why don't we talk about kind of the list that you ended up on so this is a kind of back to basics. We're not doing anything like goofy with cruelty of geeks or anything mm-hmm. like that. This is an invoke despair and one blade coil serpent top end and then a suite of interaction and then the you know bank busters and fables and two jobs and corpse appraiser. I, I guess what made you make the decisions that you came to in this particular list? Yeah, so you know, a lot of these, a lot of these kind of like little, like tiny innovations and develop uh, the and like evolutions were were implemented by the by the guys in that Discord. Uh, you know, uh, Zen and my 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 friend Abby and you know, I, I I don't I can't name them all, but just like a bunch of like the the other <laughs> players who had been working on the deck. Yeah, and the main thing is that we wanted to to kind of be be very be very clear that the deck plays and looks different on the play and on the draw so you know the, the whole the whole plan with the deck on the play especially in the mirror is that you are actually the the aggressor like you want fewer counter spells on the play you you want no sweepers you want to just be jamming threats every turn and using you know cheap interaction like negate uh chiefly to kind of defend your your threats and to stop you know invoke from happening whereas you know when you're on the draw you get to morph into this most the kind of draw go control deck until turn five where you know you have all the counter spells in you have all the sweepers in you remove things like corpse appraiser and and the shieldreds um and you know you just get to answer every threat from your opponent until you're ready to go like invoke into blade coil is that because the corpse appraisers and shieldreds just like end up being tempo sinks against their removal spells or like what what's the problem with those cards on the draw yeah the, the problem with those cards is that like you can't really play them on curve like on the play, you know, definitely. Like you wanna you wanna curve out, you wanna like blood you wanna harvest their, their turn to play and then play corpse appraiser if you can't fable. But on the draw, it's like you like sure you can you can like abrade their their two drop, you know, when they have three mana up and then they play fable and then you corpse appraiser their their harvester. Fable. <laughs> then yeah, and then you'd like like yeah, I mean like nominally your three three can block their two two, but they're just gonna you know, they're just gonna like like chump attack the two two and cast invoke or, or or something like that. So, so like w- the plan on the draw is like you want to just hold up mana until you have four mana, and then you want to you know instead of like curving out, you want to play two drop plus hold up a two mana interaction spell, and then maybe you know if things go well, then you can tap out on turns five and six. But having all four appraisers and the shieldreds, like it really doesn't help that plan. Cool. That's that's really really good information. Um, so do you bring in any of the sweepers on the draw? Is that part of the plan there then? Yeah, so that that was our plan. Player, the other players in that Discord played two sweepers main and one cut down, whereas I went with a two cut down, uh, one sweeper. So on, you know, you you that you, you remove all the cut downs in, in the mirror, but but generally against mid range decks like Rixis, Mono White, um, even Atraxa decks like the Rakdos Atraxa deck, you you bring in all your sweepers on the draw. 
you you want all your counter spells and yeah like one of the reasons why we didn't play the rest was that uh well i didn't play the rest is because i i just wanted to have the kind of like the, the numbers correct with the mana it's like you know you want to be maybe you want to play a tap land on turn on turn three so so you need you still need to hold up two mana for for a counter and on turn four you know it's still mana inefficient because like when are you know when are you actually supposed to cast the duress and mm-hmm. yeah what we went with in terms of like the overall sideboard plan in the mirror and against some mid-range decks is that we just we just wanted to make negate like a terrible card in the mirror and that you know that's why the razor lash transmogrants come in that's why the second blade coil comes in that's why we want even a third shouldered on the play in the mirror we just wanted to jam creature threats and make it about these like giant monsters right and try to catch your opponent holding up like negate a a braid which is not successful against any of these cards yeah just like just make go for the throat completely dead except for you know mm. except except for children which is just so good that you know even you're, you're okay to risk it getting killed by gft that is really helpful information i been playing like a fair bit of grixis just you know jamming games a little bit but not coming to like those full conclusions like that so that's that's really nice to know for other matchups you know what 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 should we know about the deck for other matchups or you know were you really heavily focused on the mirror uh we were extremely heavily focused on the mirror so a lot of like my effort at least went into that but i think that the the sideboard was pretty was pretty flexible in that you had a bunch of aggro cards in the sideboard and then you had a bunch of like general mid-range cards so so you know uh brotherhood's end would come in basically against any other mid-range deck on the draw because you you need something even if you're not getting you aggroed out you you need something to just kind of recoup the tempo that you lost from from being on the draw like you know there is going to be a harvester left over most likely and then you know they might play a fable and you just you still have to keep up your two mana removal your your counter but then you just need that sweeper to just kind of get the board back to parity so you know, I I played all three of those on the draw, and they were very good. And Blade Coil is like secretly, well, maybe not secretly, but it's actually the best card against Mono White because it, what it basically says is like discard your hand, kill your Planeswalker, and like that that is just so valuable because the the deck doesn't actually have a ton of ways to deal with a resolved Planeswalker, and you know the creatures aren't that big, so that that is one of the easiest ways to lose the mono white matchup where you know there's just a, a, an eternal wonder in play and and you can't do anything about that. Bad at killing planeswalkers, except for when you do get to cast your invoke despair, which is kind of the whole the whole ball game a lot of the time. But yes, when you're not doing that, uh, I can see how it would be difficult to, especially against the white deck that's like all removal and and blockers. Yeah, and and like they they work pretty well together where. Where you you know you invoke on turn five, get rid of like a a wedding announcement or something, and then you know turn six you could have like the trampling blade. Coil. It's just something really nice to follow the the invoke with, because you know the invoke the invoke like actually has potential to to get people pretty low in some situations. So having that haste mm-hmm. threat to finish them off like that like that that is like what I, I didn't think that that would be like very relevant but that turned out to be the the mode that was most important in a lot of matchups just like having a a seven four trample haste yeah i mean haste is the best creature ability right like mm-hmm. that just is is very powerful yeah are there any matchups other than the mirror you kind of like worried about i guess i was worried about the, the esper legends matchup in the sense that like uh, the sideboard wasn't extremely well tuned for that and that and that did end up 
you know, uh, coming true where where I played Grixis mirrors all day, and that's what got me into top eight because I had practiced those mirrors and um, I had the sideboard for it. Um, and then my quarterfinals opponent was was on Esper Legends, and I tested a bunch the night before. I lost every single game, uh, but <sighs> you know, but learned learns you know learned how to sideboard better in the process, and still lost like in a in a close game three in the quarters against that deck. What is the problem with that matchup? Why is that so tough? The the problem with that is that the deck is is very well set up to be able to kill to you know to kill the two drop answer the three drop, but what the deck does ha- does have a very difficult time with is one drop, two drop, three drop. Which is why So it's the it's the Skrelv that really It is gets the Skrelv, which is like which is why even though I think that Soldiers is not like a great deck, it still gives Grixis problems because it just casts a one drop and then, you know, like that that one drop is gonna deal you eight damage while you kill everything else that they play after that. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, um if they if Esper goes like Skrelv into Thalia, into Adeline, into Shildra, they, like there's just no like there's just no combination of removal spells that will get you out of that. Right, you're looking at like a three mana make disappear in your hand, and like exactly. questioning all your life choices. Yep, and so I, I, that's why I think that uh, for the upcoming for the upcoming RCs, I think Esper Legends is like pretty is pretty well positioned as that kind of that bigger aggro deck that has the advantage against the slower decks that want to hold up counter spells. But then you also have game against like tinier decks like Green White Toxic and One Red because your creatures are just kind of chunkier. It really reminds me of the Abzan aggro deck from from that. KTKI from the cons of Tarkir standard. You just have incredibly overstated creatures that also disrupt the opponent somehow. I have been impressed by Esper Legends is like such a draw dependent deck. Mm -hmm. And also like you have to be on board and you really have to be the aggressor for it to like for your cards to work. Yeah. And if you're trying to block and you're just like, what do I do with this Rafine if I can't get any triggers off of it? Like, you know, there's a lot of things that go wrong there. Like, what does Skrelv do on defense? That sort yeah. of thing. It certainly is a deck with its own fair share of problems. There's a reason that it's not as heavily played as Grixis, but it it has spots where it makes a lot of sense to play that deck. Yeah, and, and the Gasper was the kind of the only other deck that I tested, and mm-hmm. I just didn't like the fact that you know, some games you could lose to yourself. Like, it wasn't even really the mana, because a lot of the time, like, mana is your issue. But the mana of Esper is so good that the, the issue is really just that, that you know, sometimes you just have a Denic, and, it, you know, it's a 2-3 lifelink, but your opponent, like, invoked you, and, like, what are you going to do? <laughs> to be fair, I think Esper would be a lot better if you could just play two more copies of Denic. I think that's like the thing that yeah, the wants the most. I mean, because you, you see Esper, Esper players just like scraping the bottom of the barrel with just like a bunch of whatever like two, legendary two drop is left over, like Ellis yeah. Ilkor. Il- the Raven but, Man. Yeah, yeah. Like Ludovic Necrogenius. <laughs> and what I, what in the, you know, what I really did like about Grixis was that you could multiply and. As long as you had like make disappear into fable, you had a good chance. Yeah, you can't mold a five with Esper Legends. You don't get there that often. Yeah, you, you end up with hands like Plaza, Plaza, Skrell, like Urtai. <laughs> like it doesn't, <laughs> doesn't doesn't quite work. And and you know from just a bird's eye view, I, it's such a struggle for me to play a non Fable of the Mirror Breaker deck in a Fable of the Mirror Breaker format like this one. Yeah. 
I, I saw a tweet by 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 one of my friends, uh, Gavin uh, Alpha Frog. Like he he's been he's been like banging the fable of the mirror breaker should be banned drum in standard for a while, and like <laughs> it, it's funny because I don't think of it as a card that 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 could be banned because it's not you know it's not oppressive, uh, it, it, but it does just like you know warp the whole format around it. But I still think it's it's a fun card to play, and there are ways to deal with it, but. Yeah, I mean, it's like for me, it's like right on the the upper limit of like cards that are okay, but that that are still kind of egregious. It would be it would be like an attune with Aether Ban, right? Like, yeah, it's an admission that this card is not, you know, the format is just warped around it so much that we want something else to happen. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, I think the matches are still interesting, which which usually like makes me okay with with not banning a card where. The decisions are interesting. Like it's an easy card to kind of mess up with because you know, like mm-hmm. the, the, the having to like discard two cards, you know, up to two cards. Like that that is such a cool, like skill tester that you know it's the decision that I spend the most time on when when I play when I play my matches because like it it does give you a lot of potential you know like power and selection. But like you could just as easily like discard your only land, hoping that you draw another land and then you don't and then you're you're dead. <laughs> Yes, I've done exactly that. Can I just give you, like, can I just, like, list off archetypes and get your quick take on, like, how good they are or if you have any particular thoughts about how they're built right now or anything like that? Yeah, go for it. Um, So I'm just going to kind of read down the list of decks that finished reasonably and Mm -hmm. and are parts of the format. Um, But what are your thoughts about the mono-white deck? I think think that it's miserable to play it and <laughs> and i don't know it doesn't quite have like it doesn't quite have the matchup the matchup spread that that i'm happy with like it does beat grixis re- like a reasonable amount of the time and it, it does kind of beat agridex but but for some reason like i still didn't see it at the top tables i don't know if that's like you know skill diff or whatever but collins was talking about his frustration his main frustration with it being that it can only play one way, which is like defensively and kind of from behind. You know, your mm-hmm. your two drops are not Blood Tithe Harvester that can kind of pivot depending on what you want to do. It's one ones, Ambitious Farmhand and Spirited Companion are your your two drop creatures, and and I think that that inability to choose your role in matchups is not great in like a, a Fable of the Mirror Breaker format. Yeah, that that that's a great that's a great point because even you know even when I when as as the Grixis player I, I do fall behind the Wonder White it's just like to a couple of one ones, and and like I'm not I'm not worried about losing you know to those one ones like I, I can I can cast the Brotherhood's End and then worry about the Sarah Paragon after that so mm-hmm. so they do need that that kind of mix of of the early game to just stay alive and then have the, the value late game, which you know they, they might, they might draw their expensive cards in the wrong order as well. And then the aggro decks, mono red and soldiers. What are your thoughts about playing aggro in this format? I think aggro is in an, is in an interesting place as well, because I think that um, the, the, the mana is, is pretty good between like Plaza heroes and Esper where, where, just just playing a one drop in the format can like put you so far ahead because of how mana bases are built around playing a trium on turn one. But I think that like, you know, once you once you get past that that strength of like being able to go like one drop into two drop, I think that the 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 late game of those decks just doesn't like quite uh match up. I do like mono red more because you can always just 
cast lightning strike and kill your opponent. Plus, I think Furnace Punisher is just like the best sideboard card in the format. Yeah, yes. I do like that card a lot. Yeah, where you know, whereas soldiers, it's like, uh, yeah, you're playing, you're playing white aggro, and then you're gonna, you're gonna draw some cards, and you have counter spells, okay, and then you know, hopefully you have a couple of creatures left over to to, to pump. I've lost to soldiers it. Soldiers does not get to play three three sulfuric vortex. <laughs> yes, exactly. That all makes sense. And then lastly, uh, you chose not to do, and I assume this has just not been part of your Grixis ambit for most of the last couple of months but the cruelty of gix attracts a top end in place of invoke despair there is one in the top eight of each of these two regionals uh kind of the the normal rakdos version and then in the australia new zealand regionals top eight there is a like an armored scrap gorger based mm-hmm. Kind of splashing armored scrap gorger into yeah. Rakdos attracts a deck. Yeah, it, it's weird because in my testing, I barely like played against that deck at all. So I I don't have a ton to say about that archetype because I just I just didn't test against it. I just didn't come up against it. Like no one I knew wanted to play it except except sure. one person. But I was able to talk him into Grixis, and he made top eight with a with a with Grixis. <laughs> so I'm I'm glad that he didn't go with with Atraxa. <laughs> yeah, I mean. It- I don't know. Gosh, interesting. I think that in some way it's like more of an arena standard deck than a magic online standard deck in a a, a weird way that I can't really describe why I feel that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I that, that makes sense, but it's just it's just like a good mid-range deck with a with the kind of a combo-y top end which you think would be like the the perfect kind of deck for for like 2023 magic, but but I don't know why like why more people aren't playing it or why it just didn't do as well as as some of the other decks. This this Australia and New Zealand list has a mana base that only a mother could love. The uh, four Black Cleave Cliffs, one Bozeju, one Caves of Coilos, four Copperline Gorge, one Dark Slick Shores, one Jet Mirrors Garden, two Carplusion Forest, three Lenoir. It just goes on and on like that. It's it's the each land surprises you more than the last. And like you'd think that the the combo of like cruelty and Atraxa would be so powerful, but if you as you can see from like the results of RRC, apparently the the strongest way to use Atraxa is to just cast it on turn seven. Yeah, like, <laughs> the, the herd migration deck. That yeah, cool. that that deck that that deck is sweet. Um, I I saw many people lose to to, to that player's Thruns out of the sideboard as well. <laughs> Was that player bringing them in against Rakdos? Uh, I'm not sure. Grixis, I'm not sure I about mean. Rakdos, but but my one of my one of my local teammates w- was defeated by by Thruns in sideboard games by yeah. by a Thrun. That the, the the winner of RC he's Filipino, and I'm like super happy. Like, I just like quick aside that that Filipinos have won like the last two Southeast Asia RCs, and like that that just makes me so so happy because, <laughs> um, you know these these are players who who. You know, we recognize as good who've who've won local tournaments like the Jarbs, the the winner of our of our tournament. Um, he's been around for for more than a decade. You know, just grinding control decks in every single format, even when it's wrong. And you know, he's gonna go to Worlds. Uh, that that's just that's insane. Like I I love to see that. Yeah, that's awesome. I the herd migration deck is very sweet. I don't know. I I have not played it enough yet. I I gotta get some more games in with it. It's very cool for sure. The deck that I did kind of want to shout out is a uh, is Green White Toxic. I, that's the one that won the that won the Japan Championship, and I feel like I can't play Grixis on on Magic Online anymore because like I, I got paired against that deck like three straight times, and I'm gonna have to like rework the sideboard like 
pretty significantly to be able to deal with cards like Skrelv's Hive, because that, that card is a pain in the ass for, for, for Grixis for sure. Um, but and I think it's like it's going to be a pretty good choice moving forward. Yeah, I think the existence of that deck, it like this is a new thing. Like maybe in the last week at best, mm-hmm. Ray Sato took it to the Japan Championships, uh, and yeah, it is the infect deck. And I did not expect this to be playable, but it comes down quick and hits hard and makes really really good use of Skrelv, which is one of the most powerful cards in standard that doesn't have like the best homes yet and uh seeing this deck play out it's more impressive than the 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 sum is more powerful than the individual parts for sure yep it's still kind of weak to brotherhood's end but but i mean they can they can definitely recover from that with with the hive and and mirex and stuff that that, mirex is a cool card like I'm, i'm glad that's in the format it does make like mono white games a bit less grindy I, that's mm. one of the things I like actually like about the mid-range deck is that Mirax makes it have a little better at angle. Mm-hmm. It's cool that like a toxic deck because it exists and can use Mirax as kind of like intended. <laughs> yeah. God, and and then you get to play four copies of the Seed Core in the toxic deck. This is the like reverse Pendle Haven that gives a one-one creature plus two plus one. Oh, I it, forgot about that card. Yeah, that, I activate it. I love aggro <laughs> decks with the good lands. Like the yeah yeah. Just like you're never gonna flood, and that's that's like a big thing in this format. Like specific aggro decks get specific lands, like mm-hmm. Plaza of Heroes in the Esper deck. Um, you've got the Seed Core in this Toxic deck, and you've got the blue white land that pumps your soldiers in the Soldier deck. And those yep. are like big advantages that you get by choosing to be in those specific aggro decks. Yeah, that that does seem like a like a conscious design choice, which is really cool. Where it's like Grixis is like once my lands are in play, they just they just don't do anything like I, I, I could definitely flood um, and, you know, but the, the aggro decks, they don't have to don't have to worry about that. Yeah, I really appreciate that. I love me a den of the bugbear, but like everybody gets to play that. And so mm-hmm. this is a really interesting, subtle set of decisions they've made here. Yeah, I, I really enjoy the archetype specific lands. I hope it's a trend that keeps keeps happening. Yeah, to- Toxic gets to, like, bump their creatures and, and make-, make new mites, and I get to, like, take five damage off my mana base. <laughs> yeah, I get to keep tapping this stupid pain land. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, that's, you know, you play three-color mid-range, like, that's just, like, part of the burden you're taking on, I guess. Yep. Is there anything we haven't hit on yet that you have been thinking about or that you learned during your testing um, or anything else you want to talk about? Yeah, I guess, like, just one, one, one more, like, kind of meta rc structure related thing is that like um e- even though you know I've, I've qualified for the pt i there's like a pretty good chance that i won't be able to go and mm. you know that, that that's something that ki- has been kind of talked about on on twitter in the past you know like that c was qualified but but it just didn't make financial sense for him uh to, to, to attend and for me even if even if that you know that weren't an issue it, it's actually just impossible for me to get a visa in time to like attend the tournament because it's very oh. difficult. It's very difficult for for people from the Philippines to get visas to the U.S. So my plan is to kind of explain that to the wizards and hopefully get a deferment. Um, I think that I think that it's it's reasonable to ask for deferments, you know, in in any in any case. And a lot a lot of the time, I'll respect the wizards' decision. But like, I feel like I have a good case because 
you know, I, I could try as hard as like, I could like literally like the whole day, you know, multiple days trying to get a visa, but there's only so much I can do in terms of like, you know, having to wait uh, for an appointment and to get the approval and, and things like that. So hopefully, you know, that, that works out. And if, if that does work out, you know, I'll be looking for a testing team and, 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 and stuff in and, and arrangements for Barcelona. So, so yeah, I mean, I'll definitely update people on Twitter if I'm able to, 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 to attend like this, this PT or, or the next one. Gotcha. Well, I that's frustrating, and I I I did know that that was difficult, but I I didn't realize that it was so clear that it would just be almost impossible to get a visa in time. That that's awful timing, I guess, an awful timing window. Yeah. Again, I mean, again, I'm like I'm I'm bringing it up like not not just for like per, you know personal catharsis, but like the, you know there no. is yeah there is like something there there are things that wizards like can do wizards and you know the community or whatever can do to to like like mitigate this issue and and that's generally to just be to be reasonable about deferments and and uh yeah i mean i i haven't i haven't requested it yet so it would be nice um but yeah i'll just let everyone know how that goes i certainly hope that works out Uh, one other structural thing this is kind of minor but i was thinking about it uh when hearing about like you know, players who played in the last pro tour and didn't nine seven, so they're not qualified for the next pro tour. Now they can start playing RCQs to try to qualify for the next RC, but that doesn't give them any opportunity to qualify for the PT that they like missed mm-hmm. by missing this one. And so you get left in this like weird space where when you're prepping for a pro tour, you also need to be playing RCQs at the same time in case you don't get there at the pro tour. <laughs> yeah. And that seems like a bummer. And I feel like that could be very easily fixed by if you go to the pro tour and like that just qualifies you for the next regional championship so that you don't have to be, you know, splitting your attention in that way. Yeah. I mean, it's what they did for, it's for like rival, like uh, rivals league and MPL members, or I'm not sure like if it's like equally applied, but like rival, former rivals members are just qualified for all the RCs this season. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm all about giving more opportunities to, to players, not from, from the core, but at the same time, I, I recognize that you still have to reward consistent performance. Like we don't need to have, we don't need to have like a, like an MPL system for there to be players that that you can continue to root for even as you yourself are trying to to get on the same level as them right like there has to yeah. be that kind of balance yeah i mean we got to watch reed win a pro tour like there's still that exactly like you had reed win the pro tour and you had you know benton madsen who no one had ever heard of before like like outside, yeah. but, like, like play him in the finals it was just like a great story both ways yeah it was a, a perfect top eight for a a return to the pro tour yeah for sure yep cool well nick thank you so much this was awesome uh really appreciate your insight and bringing perspectives to the table that you know we just don't have access to otherwise so it has been a huge pleasure having you here thank you so much oh, i mean the, the pleasure is all mine like I've, I've been biding my time for two years to like you know finally accomplish something worthy of a, <laughs> of a second grindcast appearance <laughs> <laughs> i mean let's not let's not leave it two years uh in the future you, you don't need to top eight something just to come on an episode so we'll, just, we'll reach out just again. to give us a call hey i got my deferment all right come on <laughs> <laughs> yes. here to talk about the the geopolitics of magic the gathering it's, it's nicholas price yeah. again <laughs> i as you know 
I guess I was going to say as like one of the more socialist magic podcasts, uh, but, you know, Ross Miriam does have a Magic the Gathering yeah, podcast, he does. so I don't know <laughs> if we can compete there, but it's certainly a politically aware podcast that's mm-hmm. not like too far outside of our, <laughs> you know, general subject matter. Yeah, I mean, I like. I think that there, there's kind of that 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 notion that that the, you know the only way to be good at magic and to have opportunities is to focus on like the magic side of things, like improve technical play. And while that's true when it when it comes to things like you know angle shooting or whatever, like you you, know, you don't want to focus on that part. It's like we have to kind of understand that there are external factors that influence like who gets to play magic at at, at what level. Mm-hmm. So I, I I appreciate that you know that y'all like had me on to kind of just basically complain about my region's issues for like the past hour and a half it's but see like it's not complaining when it's structural issues it's not like you're annoyed by nonsense like it's these are real things that affected every player involved in the tournament and and i can guarantee you there's someone listening to this podcast from like the united states who has just never thought about what playing magic in another country and another system day in day out is just like and it's a completely new perspective that's worth thinking about yeah, and it like really, really happy to just be able to kind of present that present that perspective. And again, it's like as, as, as I had trouble with the with with some of the how, the ways that the RC was run, but but I gotta say, like you know, it, it it has to be said that like the judges from you know from the region who all you know came came down to the Philippines to the to kind of you know or execute that event like it, it's not their fault at all and they all did like just a really good job like the, the event went the event proper like the actual rounds went just super smoothly because of our, our awesome judges i mean that's something at least yeah i i enjoy it when the oh in my experience a lot of the judging staff and people in the magic community try their best to make sure all the events go smoothly it just like gets hung up somewhere Mm-hmm. I mean, they're, they're, they're swimming against the current in, in a lot of ways. Yeah. Yeah. All the individual people on the ground that are involved in this stuff, like we're all trying our best, but sometimes mm-hmm. there are difficulties that get in the way. Well, awesome. Uh, thank you so much, uh, listeners. Thank you so much for your time. We really appreciate it. Nick, if people want to find you, uh, what's the best way? Do you have anything content wise for them to look out for or are they just looking for you on on twitter and stuff yeah pretty much just that you can find me on twitter at, at inextrad mtg probably like the most content oriented thing that i do is just post uh like salty mtgo chats and and i get i get a lot of <laughs> them for true. some reason i get a lot of them for some reason so so you, you'll definitely see you, more you're underselling your your draft posts though oh yeah i mean i i do post about about limited like i used to play a lot more constructed but lately it's been like all about about draft been trying to get to the you know the 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 first page of the trophy leaderboard on magic online (laughs) well ideally you will be playing a pro tour soon so all of that work will yes be worth it i can't wait well again congratulations on your top eight we we were gonna have you on anyways but then the fact that you made it made made this even better i had to make sure that i couldn't get like bumped off for someone like that i could only get i could only get bumped off for an rc winner like in case you were gonna have like you know zen on or something (laughs) well you you know ash did win the 10k this weekend at scg and if you know if we hadn't had a guest plan we probably would have just like asked her to be on if she wanted to so you know (laughs) good to get on the calendar early (laughs) yeah for sure okay (laughs) thanks everybody so much for listening thank you that's it for us 
have a great week. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.